this morning as, as we're getting through uh, a lot of, of stuff this morning, uh, I want to take an opportunity to pause, kind of put all of our worries and all of our troubles, all of our hardships of the week on hold for just a minute. In the youth group, I did this for, for a long time, and I try to do it as much as I can. I would ask the students each, each week in their small groups one question. And in my mind, it's a very simple question, but it's not always the easiest question to answer. And the question every week was, what has God done in your life this week? And we ask this question of the students because we want the students to be thinking about how God works in their lives. Not just in the big stuff, like seeing you through the storm, but in the little stuff each and every day. And it, it, it's a hard question to answer some weeks as you look back on your week and maybe you didn't have such a great week. Or you look back on your month or your year and it hasn't been that great. Or maybe you look at your week and you think, my week has been exceptionally ordinary this week and I can't think of anything. But God is still working even in those small moments and in the ordinary. And I want to take an opportunity today, the weekend before Thanksgiving, to ask the congregation, what has God done in your life? Maybe it's this week or this month. Maybe it's been this year you've seen God work. We're going to phrase the question differently as we sit down as family on Thursday and say, what are you thankful for? I want to give you an opportunity as a congregation. Chad's going to start over my, my countdown timer. Um, as a youth pastor, I constantly have to embrace the silence because teenagers don't necessarily like to stand up and talk, right? Um, so I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to ask you as a congregation, I have a microphone. They've got it turned on. I'll bring it to you. I want to ask you, what has God done in your life? What are you thankful for this week? I'd like for you to share with the, the church. So who wants to go first? There we go. See, there's no awkward silence. It's always wonderful when somebody volunteers. I don't have to call on anybody like Mike. I got up this morning and um, just peeked outside to see what kind of day it was, whether it was foggy or rainy or cold again like it has been. And as I looked out the front door, I saw this little green leaf and the sun was shining right through it. And I thought, you put that there for me to see right now. And I was so thankful for God's artistry and that he gives us the appreciation for it. Well, praise God for that. I'm just grateful for where I was and what he's brought me through to who I am today. A whole different concept. The focus is on him. That's wonderful. I'm just going to say the other side, you guys get right. I'm coming over there next. <laughs> it was a blessing, this trip. Uh, you always think you have it bad until you see people that's down. And uh, it was a real heart awakening to do a little bit of stuff for people to help them then. And they really appreciated it. And it was a blessing. I wasn't kidding. I'm coming over there. Holly went up to the balcony. I may walk up there as well. I'm glad these microphones work everywhere. I can just keep talking. I have many things to be thankful for. First, I'm thankful for my salvation. Amen. Secondly, I'm thankful that I live in America. 
because you know that in other countries of this world, people are being persecuted. Christians. And who knows the way our country's going, we may end up <clears throat> losing our <clears throat> um, <clears throat> privilege of worship. So just be thankful for all the blessings that God has given us and continue to pray for our country. Thank you. There are so many things to be thankful for. So many opportunities for us as a congregation to share those things that we're thankful for and to remind those around us that God is still working and still moving. and He's not finished with any of us yet. And I encourage you, as we prepare for, for our Thanksgiving meal tonight as, as a church family, to be thinking about these things, to come this evening and to share with the church as we gather around the table as a church family and share with them the things that you're thankful for. Share with your, your, your family, your church family, the ways that God has worked in your life. So I encourage you to think about that today. And as you come tonight, be ready to share because I'm going to give you another opportunity to do it this evening. So just hearing a couple of those things that the, the people in our congregation are thankful for, I want to I just take an opportunity to praise God for that and to praise God for the ways that he has worked in each of our lives this week. And I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for a minute and then I'm going to share some of God's word through that prayer. So if you would bow your heads as we pray right now. Father God, I, I thank you that you are a God who is not distant that you are not far away from us, but you are intimately involved in our lives and that you are working in our lives through each and everything, Lord. Even in the small everyday matters of our lives, you were there. And in the big storms of life, Lord, you were there. And I lift up to you right now, Miss Mary, who has been struggling, it seems, year after year, devastation after devastation, Lord. She's never wavered in her faith. I praise you for that the faithfulness that you put on her heart. I pray over her, her living situation, Lord. I pray that she is able to make the repairs to her home and that she's able to stay there in her home where her memories and her family are and that you would continue to bless her with a daughter who loves her and who is there for her just how you were there for her, Lord. Father, I thank you for the blessing it was to serve on that mission team, the five of us to go down there for the work that Samaritan's Purse has done. Lord, it's a blessing to me, it's a blessing to this church, and it's a blessing to the families that they have interacted with. Thank you for the blessings that we've heard of this morning. And I'm reminded of your word. It says, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are the power and the might, and in your hand makes great, and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. Amen. This morning, as we come together, I have an opportunity uh, to, to share with you from God's word, from 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to read 16 through 18. And I'm going to ask the church to, to stand with us as we read God's word out of respect and reverence for that word. We'll read it together. Let's read. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Father God, your word is amazing. And we praise you for speaking to us today through your word and giving us this command to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances, and that you have revealed this to us as part of your will for our lives. Father, we ask right now that you would speak to us through this time of, of sharing your word together, that you would show us these principles from scripture and how we can live out these verses and the hardships of our life. Father, we thank you that, that you love us enough to be involved in our lives, that you love us enough to, to give us the things that we need and to sustain us and to bring us through the storms. Father, we praise you for that this morning. Ask for your blessing on your word and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. You know, this idea, this idea of this verse, to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks, this is completely impossible to do on our own. We cannot do it. And honestly, I can say that because as a culture, we're going to miss it every single time. As a culture, we push these things aside. We push away the thankfulness and we say, you know what, just one day a year. One day a year will set aside for us to gather as a culture and to be thankful and to reflect on what the Lord has done. And not only are we going to push it aside to one day a year, but we're going to make that day less and less significant each and every year. We're going to make it be about less and be about less every year. And if you don't believe me, look at Walmart. Walk into the store and see how it looks. Starting maybe in September, right around when the weather starts to change and it starts to cool off. Maybe the leaves have started to change on the trees. For me, I look at that and I think fall is here and Thanksgiving is coming because Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday throughout the year. It's the only day of the year that I can eat whatever I want. Nobody will judge me. <laughs> I love Thanksgiving. And as the seasons change, I really look forward to Thanksgiving. But if you walk into Walmart around September, you don't see... Thanksgiving or fall decorations, what you see is Halloween. And you see costumes and candy and decorations, and like half of the store is transformed into Halloween. They like scary costumes, and there's some people who can't even bring their kids down certain aisles because they put out scary costumes throughout the store, and everybody is all abuzz with everything Halloween. And what comes after Halloween? You think if you look at a calendar or if you're like me, you think, well, Thanksgiving comes after Halloween. Surely after Halloween, they're going to bring out all of the decorations, all of the fall decor and get everything ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, but that's not what happens. If you go into Walmart, even before Halloween has come, you see all of a sudden they start putting out Christmas trees and all of the decorations for Christmas and you can buy wrapping paper and you can buy tinsel and all of the ornaments and everything to decorate your house and make it look extremely festive for Christmas and the Thanksgiving and fall decor is one half of an aisle. See, as a culture, Thanksgiving's not important. Reflecting on the things that God has done in your life, culturally speaking, is not important, and we push those things aside while we give entire stores to Halloween. And I think that the reason that our culture does this is because 
Thanksgiving requires contentment. To be thankful, you have to be content. Or maybe it's the other way around. It's when you're content, you can be thankful. Either way, culture doesn't like that. Because when we're content, we say, I have all that I need. The Lord has given me everything that I need, and I'm okay with this. But our culture pushes a different agenda. Our culture says, you need more. You need bigger. You need better. You have to have the newest iPhone. I just told Eddie that a few minutes ago. Eddie, you need a new iPhone. That's what our culture promotes and pushes. Contentment is not what our culture likes, but contentment is what is required for Thanksgiving. I fall into this way of thinking all the time. But God's word tells us that we should give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And there are so many horrible things that happen to people that that I don't know that I would be able to say that I was thankful and actually mean it. I mean, I would probably mumble under my breath in a sarcastic tone, oh, thanks. I would say it tongue-in-cheek because I know I'm supposed to. But I don't know that through these horrible hardships in life that I can be thankful and actually mean it. And we're going to sit down as families this week, those of us who can, because not everybody can sit down together as a family. But as we do, we're going to sit down around the table. We're going to go around from person to person, and we're going to talk about those things that we're thankful for. Some people in this congregation, in our town, our country, are hurting so bad right now that they can't even think of being thankful. They're hurting so bad that the thought of being thankful is more painful to them that they can't even have a heart of thankfulness because it hurts too bad and it doesn't feel right to be thankful as they're hurting and they're suffering and going through great loss. And I want to look at a couple of examples of of people that, that I've encountered and people that are in the scriptures who can give us some principles that we can live by that will help us to be able to live out this verse, even though the culture tells us we can't do it. So I want to look at two examples. And the first one that I want to look at comes from our mission trip that we were on. This word says to rejoice always. You know, I've talked about the, the trip already a little bit. I didn't tell you any of the statistics of what we were doing. The work site that we were out at in Texas was one of seven. That work site that we were at has stayed open longer than any others because there's so much work to be done. That work site alone, uh, the Sunday that we were there, had been in 521 houses. In those 521 houses, they've led 76 people to the Lord. They're doing a great work in Texas, but it doesn't even make a dent in what has to be done. These houses ranged from total loss, as I talked about, to just a little bit, some repairable damage to some of them are indescribable as you walk up to them. Then you're just completely overwhelmed. And I want to talk about in more detail one family that we got to interact with and work in their house because I think that their story of of a family and their attitude through all of it is going to illustrate to us some things that we can look to to help us have a thankful heart. Miss Norma and her kids. Ms. Norma and her kids had 18 inches of standing water in their house after the storm. Mold on all the walls. 
By the time we got there, they had already gone through all of their belongings, which as a team, we were extremely thankful for. Because as a team, that's the hard part. We look at somebody's stuff and we say, well, this is moldy. You need to throw it away, but it's their stuff. And it's emotional and it's hard for them. And as an outsider, we look at it and we're like, it's just stuff. But as a mother, you're looking at it and saying, my kid made that for me when they were in the eighth grade. This family had already gone through all of their stuff and they condensed everything that they had into really kind of two and a half rooms. You can see it in this picture. Everything that they had gone through, everything that they were going to keep, they had put in the middle of the rooms and they had covered up so that we could come in and we could strip all of the drywall off and, and rip all of the, the water damaged stuff and the moldy stuff and we could get it all out of their house. But when you look at their house, the beds were gone, the couches were gone. The furniture was gone. We threw out all of their appliances. There was nothing left. When we left their house, all that was there, oh, this is the pile. That man's name is Bruce. He's very nice. I don't know if you know Bruce in our church, but um, <laughs> I, really, I really like Bruce. He's Canadian. That's, that's not even the biggest pile that we had, but this is at Miss... Miss Norma's house, and we piled it up. The city of Houston was great. They came by about halfway through the day with um, a little um, bobcat, scooped everything up, took away three dump trucks of stuff, and it didn't even make a dent in the pile of stuff that we had removed from Miss Norma's house. When we left it, this is pretty much what it looked like. This is two separate pictures. You can stand in one corner of the house, and you see all the way across the house. There's nothing left on the walls. It's, we were stripped down to studs. Nothing but studs the entire house. There was no drywall left. Ripped it all out. The only thing left in her house was one half bath tucked way back in the corner and there were no walls around it. So if you had to go to the bathroom, you had to ask everyone to leave because the guy standing in the garage could see you on the other side of the house going to the bathroom. Her house was left with nothing in it. At the end of the day, the entire team gets together and we all sign a Bible. Samaritan's Purse gave every family whose house that we go into a Billy Graham Bible signed by anybody who worked on it. And you write your name and you write a note of encouragement, your favorite verse, whatever it may be. And at the end of each day, they present it to the homeowner and you pray together. And after you pray together, the homeowner is invited to come and have dinner. Most of the time, they don't take you up on it. Stuart, our team leader, said about one family a week will come. One family each week will come and have dinner with you. Miss Norma and her family came and they joined us on the last, our last night there. Sorry, I'm bring that back up. She came and she joined us as we had dinner together. Um, most of our team was there. Other teams were there. It was at our host church. Uh, and she came because she wanted to come and share with us how thankful she was. And she brought her kids with her. And she stood up in front of everybody and she talked about how blessed she was to have us in her home. How blessed she was to have what she had left. To have any of it. To have God bless her with people who are going to come into her house, take time out of their own schedules, take money out of their own bank accounts, and help her in any way that they could. And she could stand up and say, I am blessed and I am thankful. I look at her house and I don't know that I could do it. She couldn't even live in her own home with her kids. But she was able to stand up and say, I'm so thankful. As we pulled up to most houses there in Texas, 
we'd pull up and I would be overwhelmed. And the rest of my team could, could tell you the same thing, that it's overwhelming to look at the amount of work that needs to be done and to think we're not even doing that much, but there's so much. Where do you even start with complete devastation in your home? Many families down there didn't know where to start. Months later, they're still sitting there saying, I don't know what to do. And we come into a home and say, we've got to start going through your stuff. And it's very hard to go through somebody's belongings and tell somebody, you've got to throw this out. If you keep this, you're going to be sick. The mold is going to get worse. So overwhelming. But Miss Norma had gone through the storm. She had gone through the aftermath that came with the storm of going through all of her belongings and sorting it out. And she knew through all of it that the Lord was in control of everything. The Lord was in control of all of it, including the storm. She knew and she held on to that truth. She knew that he was doing something even when she didn't know and understand what that was. I want to talk about another example. A a biblical example. And this one is a little bit harder than the devastation of a home loss, the devastation of a storm in life. We're going to be uh, in 2 Kings for this one. I want you to grab your Bibles and follow along. We're going to read a whole lot of 2 Kings chapter 4. I didn't put it on the screen. I I really do want you to open up your Bible, turn on your Bible, scroll over to 2 Kings, whatever it is you do. Uh, But we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 8. And I'm going to read if you'll just follow along. Starting in verse 8, it says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived and who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there and eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there... For him a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. This woman has the gift of hospitality. And there are many people in our congregation who have this gift. And they are blessed with the ability to to bless others with this gift. And it is wonderful. I've received the gift of hospitality. Not that I have it, but people who have the gift of hospitality have shown me hospitality. And it is wonderful experience to know that God has gifted somebody with such a thing and that they use it to glorify God. And that's what this woman does. Well beyond what most people would do, well beyond providing a meal, but this Elisha the prophet would stop in there anytime he passed her house and have a meal. And she was moved by that to the point that she said, let's build him a room. Let's spend our own money, use our own resources, set aside our own stuff, build this man a room so that when he comes here, he can rest. And she does it. Her and her husband build the room. In verse 11, it says, One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and he rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is it that can be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? I'm going to pause there for a second in the middle of that verse. Essentially, this is what happened. Elisha is moved by her hospitality. He wants to give something back to her, and he says, call her in here, and I want to ask her what it is I can do for her since she has done so much for me. 
And she comes in and he says, I, she's unnamed, so I'm going to say woman. He says, woman, you've done so much for me. I want to do something for you. What is it that I can do for you to bless you since you have blessed me so much? He says, I can make you a woman of prominence. I can go to the king and speak on your behalf. I can go to the commander of the armies and speak on your behalf and make you a very important family in this area. What can I do for you? And her response is just amazing. Right there at the end of verse 13, it says, She answered, I dwell among my own people. Her response to Elisha's gift to her. Elisha's offer to make her a very important woman, to give her pretty much whatever it is that she would want. Her response is, no, I'm good. I have all that I need. I dwell among my own people. I am not of want. I don't need anything. Her contentment is amazingly seen in those words. I dwell among my own people. Elisha knows that that is not the truth. And he said, what then can be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old, basically. She's not going to have any kids. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Culturally speaking, in that time, in that context, if you do not have a son, it's not good for your family. If you don't have a son, you don't have an heir to everything that you have worked for, everything that you have accumulated. When, they, when her and her husband die, everything that they have is going to go to one of their servants. This is not good for her to not have a son, which highlights even more the contentment in her response when she says, I dwell among my own people. When she says, I have everything that I need, I don't need anything, that wasn't the truth. But she was perfectly content with the life that she had. And Elisha knows that that's not the case. And his servant says, she needs a son. So Elisha promises to her that she'll have a son. And if you read the, um, the rest of verse 16, she argues with him. She says, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. She knows I'm too old to have children. My husband's too old to have children. We're never going to have kids. I'm not even asking for it. I'm not asking you for a son. I'm not asking you for that. I'm perfectly fine where I'm at. In verse 17, it says, But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. God bless Miss Norma down in Texas with a group from Samaritan's Purse who are going to come into her home and who are going to rip her home down to the studs and sort through everything and move it all out and get her house ready to rebuild. That is how God blessed Miss Norma after the storm. God blesses this Shunammite woman, this unnamed Shunammite woman with a son, an heir to her family. God says, this is the blessing that I have for you. Even though you're not asking for it, here it is. But that's not the end of her story. It wasn't until that point that her life really got difficult because she has a son. And you can read about it, but I'm going to just give you a, a summarization of what happens. Her son grows up to the age where he can go out with his father to help in the fields. And he does, and the son goes with the father to work. And one day he's out in the field and he gets a really bad headache and he comes to his father and he says, my head hurts, my head hurts. And he's complaining, maybe heat stroke, I don't know what it is. 
And the father does what I would do when my kids come to me when I'm sick or when they're sick. I have one of two responses. My first response is drink more water. That's probably the military. When my kids come to me and say, I have a headache or my stomach hurts, my response is primarily drink more water. Or the second response, like what this man does, go see your mom. (laughs) Your stomach hurts, you want to talk to mom about that. This boy comes to his father while working in the field and says, my head hurts, my head hurts. And the father says, go into your mother. And the boy goes into his mother and his mother, like probably every mother that there is, sympathizes with him. And she sits the boy down on her lap and she's probably running her hand through his hair, probably singing to him and rocking him back and forth, soothing him from his headache pain for however long it is. And then at noon, the boy dies. This blessing that God had given her, this son, has now died in her arms. And she stands up and she takes the boy up to the roof, the roof of her house where she had built the room for Elisha. Carries the boy all the way up there and lays him down in Elisha's bed. And she summons a donkey and tells the servant, she says, don't slow down for anything. We're going to see the man of God. We're going to see Elisha. No matter what happens, no matter how rough the road gets, we're going to take this trip. Do not slow down for anything. It's a 15 to 25 mile trip from where she is to where Elisha is. And as she's going out, her husband stops and says, Why are you, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to see Elisha, the man of God. And he says, why would you do that? It's not a new moon. It's not a religious holiday. There's no reason for you to go and to see this man. And her response is not, well, our son has died and he can help me. Her response is she looks at her husband. She says, all is well. All is well. I'm going to see the man of God and goes on about her way. As she's approaching where Elisha is at, he sees her coming, and he knows that there is something wrong. He knows that things are not right because this woman would not be coming to him on any normal day. And she, he sends Gehazi, his servant, out to meet her. He says, Gehazi, go and see her, and as you approach her, say, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the boy? I know that there is something wrong. And so Gehazi goes running out to meet her as she's approaching And he asks, is everything okay? And she says, it is well. She makes it to Elisha. And Elisha knows that that is not the case. He knows that this woman is greatly distressed because God has gifted Elisha with this ability. He says, what is wrong? She says, my son has died. She said, I never asked for a son. I didn't ask for this, but he's died. Elisha goes and is able to raise her son from the dead, but she never asked him to. She didn't come to Elisha and say, you need to to resurrect my son. You need to bring him back from the dead. She goes to Elisha trusting that God can do something. She doesn't know what it is. She doesn't know what's going to happen, but she trusts that God is going to do something, and he does. I think these two examples can, can teach us a few different things of how we can be thankful in our lives. How we can be thankful. And the first one is that we need to be content. Both of these women were perfectly content with what the Lord had given them. For the Shunammite woman, you really see her contentment before God blesses her with a son. If she's offered to be made a great person of prominence in her, her area, She says, I'm fine. I've got everything that I need, even though she didn't have what she needed. 
For Miss Norma, you see her contentment after the storm when all that is left is a, a few personal belongings and she's still thankful and she still feels that she's blessed by God even though she's lost so much. We are to be content with where we're at. Now, I want to stop right here um, and just pause for a second. Contentment is not something that comes easy. And I was at this exact point. I'm not joking. I'm at this exact point writing the sermon Thursday afternoon. Now, I had already kind of handwritten everything out, had all my points. I knew what I wanted to talk about, but I'm typing it on the computer. I'm making slides, making sure I knew exactly what I was going to say. I'm at this exact point. My phone rings Thursday afternoon, and it's my wife, Gretchen. She says, hey, we were getting ready to leave to go and see this family that we have to go see, and, and the vans broke down. And I'm mad. <sighs> vans broke down. I'm so tired of this van. I said, okay, I'm coming to get you. She said, no, it's okay. You know, my coworker will pick me up. We'll go to this, see this family, and then she'll drop me off. I said, no, stay there. I'm coming to get you. I'm mad, and I'm frustrated. Not at my wife, but at the van. I'm, frust- I'm mad at a van. Can you imagine that? And so I, I grab my kids and we get in the car and we drive up to East Alton where Gretchen works. And the whole time I'm driving up there, I'm thinking, I'm so tired of this piece of junk van. Everything's always breaking. I'm always fixing something. We're just going to get there. I'm going to get the van home and I'm going to go buy a new car. I'm done with this. I want something new that I don't have to fix. Okay. Uh, and for those of you who don't know my family, we, we don't have any non-mortgage debt. We don't do credit cards. We don't borrow money for cars. We, don't, we, we just don't. Um, and I'm driving up there and I'm thinking the whole way, I'm willing to go into debt to get a new car. I'm so tired of working on this car that I'm willing to go into debt. And I pull into the parking lot and I get out and Gretchen comes over and gives me a hug and she says, I'm sorry. And it just kind of hits me. I'm like, why are you sorry? What are you sorry? So Gretchen, I'm writing a sermon right now on thankfulness and contentment. <laughs> and I, I know you're laughing. This, none of this is a joke. This actually happened on Thursday. I said, if I can't be thankful and content over a broken down van, then I have no business writing this sermon. But I'm going to be completely honest. I told her that, and my attitude didn't change. I was still mad. And I got in that van, and I drove home, and the whole way I'm driving home thinking, oh, I'm going to go buy a new car. I'm done with this. And I got home, and my attitude still didn't change. And got online and started looking at cars. What can we go buy? Something newer, something nicer, something that's not going to break down. Something with a warranty would be great. <laughs> and I went to bed Thursday night mad and frustrated. And I woke up Friday morning and God had changed my attitude. And Friday morning, it was when I, when I, I substitute taught at the middle school on Friday. So when we get out of school Friday, we're, just, we're taking the van over to the shop. We're going to get it fixed. We've got a savings account. We've got money set aside. We'll just get it fixed. I'm not going to work on it myself this time, but, you know, contentment is hard. It's so hard to be content. It doesn't come easy. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 4. And you can turn there and you can read through it if you want, but I'm going to summarize it. Um, in, in chapter 4, Paul talks about contentment, and he says, you know what, I know what it means to be brought high, and I know what it means to be brought low. And the Apostle Paul knows what it means to be in either of those two positions. He says, I know what it means to have a little and to abound. And through it all, I've learned that I need to be content. And then he follows those words up with some of the most misquoted words in all of Scripture. He says, 
through all of that, I know what it means to be content. What does he follow it up with? Does anybody know? He follows it up with, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Through all of the highs and all of the lows, I know what it, that I have to be content, and I can do that through Christ who gives me strength. He's not saying I can go and play a basketball game and proclaim Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, I can win this game. He says, when I have a little, when I don't really have enough to get by, I can get by because I know that my strength comes from God. And when I have a lot, when I'm abounding in the things that I need, I can be content in that because I know that my strength does not come from my abundance, but my strength comes from Jesus Christ. This is what Philippians 4.13 is about. This is contentment, knowing that everything that we have comes from God. And it wasn't ours to begin with. Why would you not be content with what God has given you when all of it is a gift from God? James says that all good things are a gift from God above. How can you not be content in that? Every good gift is from above. Even the little things that are left after the storm, after the floodwaters have gone down, even those little things are a gift from God. And we're able to be content and therefore give thanks in all circumstances because of the Lord. Because of what he has done for us. Specifically speaking, the salvation that he has given us. And how great that is compared to anything that we are ever going to have or go through here on this earth. That salvation is so much greater than anything that we could imagine. That we can be content no matter what our lot is in life. But contentment isn't the only thing that's required to have a thankful heart. Contentment isn't the only thing that we learn from these two examples of these women in the scriptures and Miss Norma down in Texas. We also have to trust the Lord. We have to trust the Lord. We have to trust that he is doing something even when we don't know what that is. Even when we don't understand what is going on around us, we have to trust that he's doing something. And honestly, I don't know that we'll ever understand it. I don't know that we'll ever understand why God would bring some people through a hurricane and flood their houses and take away their belongings, maybe their loved ones. Why God would bring death into a family. I don't know that we'll ever understand it this side of heaven. But we trust God knowing that he's doing something in it. We trust God knowing his character that our God is the God that always has been and always will be. He is the beginning and the end. He is the ever faithful one who never changes and never ceases. And we have to trust that he is doing something even when we don't understand it. Because our ways are not his ways and our understanding is not his understanding. And as we read the scriptures, we realize that his ways and his understanding are so much greater than ours. And so we trust God and we hold on to the character of God. Miss Norma had to trust God in a literal storm as it came in. She had to trust that, that he was walking through that storm with her. She had to be content knowing that her stuff was just stuff. And yes, it had emotions and memories tied to it. 
And her house was her house with her family and there are memories there. But she had to be content knowing there was just stuff. She had to trust God knowing that his character is so much greater than all of this. For the Shunammite woman, her trust goes beyond the storm of life. Her trust goes beyond anything that we can imagine. And she sets out for Elisha knowing that he could do something but not knowing what it was. And she said, I'm just going to get there and trust that God is going to do something. I've laid my son in his bed and we are going. She doesn't stop to talk to her husband about it. She doesn't stop to talk to Gehazi, the servant, about it. She goes straight to Elisha and trusts that God is going to do something. I want to say this. The key for us to have a thankful heart, to be able to give thanks in all circumstances, is not to look at other people's suffering and say, man, I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad that wasn't my house. Our thankfulness doesn't come from other people's suffering. Our thankfulness doesn't come as a response to what other people have to go through and us looking at it and saying, well, we don't have it that bad. Because we're all on the same playing field. We're all sinful. We're all without hope apart from Jesus Christ. Other people's suffering shouldn't warrant a response of thankfulness in our heart. It should their, their suffering should motivate us to get out and to do something, to love. Their suffering should motivate us to have sympathy on them and to love and provide and take care of them like what Samaritan's Purse is doing in Texas. What our church was able to do is we sent people down there to do it and had a church body rally around us and pray for us and send us out. Our thankfulness does not come at the expense of other people's suffering. Our thankfulness comes as a response to what, what Christ has done on the cross. That's how we are able to be thankful. We're called to give thanks in all circumstances. But we're not called to give thanks for all circumstances. We don't have to be thankful for the storm, but we can give thanks in the storm knowing that God is walking through it with us. Knowing that the work of Christ has been done on the cross, that salvation has come, and that that is the foundation of every good gift and everything that we can be thankful for. The foundation of the verse that we're even talking about, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. The last part of that verse says, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, that we would rejoice always, pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances, because that is God's will for us. In Christ Jesus. He is the foundation of all of it. His sacrifice makes it all possible. Without his sacrifice, we would not be able to pray. We could not come into the presence of God because we would be completely separated from him because of our sin. We would not be able to rejoice knowing that our eternal resting place is in hell and damnation apart from the work of Christ on the cross. We would not be able to give thanks because of the penalty that's due all mankind in a fallen world. But his, his sacrifice is the foundation for all of this. For every bit of it, it is possible because of his sacrifice. So this week, as we gather as a church family tonight, as you gather as families on Thursday and celebrate Thanksgiving, we have to take the time to praise the Lord for the work that he has done in your life. And, and we need to reflect, not just this week, not just Thursday and on Thanksgiving, 
But we need to reflect each and every day on the things that the Lord has done for us. From the big stuff down to the little stuff. Knowing that God is at work in your life. Even now, even in the everyday stuff, he's at work. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning that you are a God who is at work in our lives. That you have not left us or abandoned us, but you have stepped into this world, sending your son Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for us. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here who does not know you as their Savior and their Lord, that they would not leave here without surrendering their lives to you. Father, I pray over this congregation that we would be able to walk out of here rejoicing always, praying continuously, and giving thanks in all circumstances. Because we know that it's possible because of you, because of your sacrifice, and we praise you for that today. Father, right now as we move to a time of offering, as we give back just a portion of what you have given us, we realize how blessed we are. How blessed we are to have any of this, knowing that it's yours and that you have given freely to us. Father, we give back to you freely right now. Father, we pray over this offering that you would take it and multiply it, that you would use it to, to spread your glory in Collinsville and this, this entire area, all over this nation and this world, Lord. Father, take this money, use it. Take this, this time of offering as we pour out our hearts to you as an offering. Father, and bless it. We ask all of this right now in Jesus' name.